Well, good morning. How are we doing, church? Hey, can I just say thank you for being here in the building? Like, who? look at this beautiful weather. As Pastor Craig said, some of you decided, do I go out on the boat on the water or do I go to church? Do I go to the golf course or do I go to church? Or do I just sit in my backyard and enjoy this weather or go to church? Can I just say give yourself a hand for being at church today? I'll try to get you out of here with plenty of time to enjoy this weather. So welcome all the new guests that are here. My name is Pastor David. I have a title of the teaching that I think you need to write down first thing is this is called A Woman, A Well, and A Wonderful God. Is God wonderful in your life this morning? He is. Even when we think we're in a trial, he's still a wonderful God. And so I have an incredible story that I get to teach you in John chapter 4. And we're rotating all our pastors. And so you're never going to know who's up here from one weekend to the next. But man, when I saw this teaching, and there's so many beautiful teachings that pastors love to teach in the book of John. And so I'm excited about that. But I want to start with a story with you all. Um, How many Ford F-150 fans do we have in this church? Just raise your hand. All right, I got a few buddies. All right, cool. Don't be hating me if you're Chevy or, 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 you know, you know, but I want to tell you a story. We were in need of a used Ford F-150 because my life required me to be moving things from point A to point B with the church and with my personal life. And um, I've always driven trucks. And, and when I came down here and then gas went up really high, I sold my truck and got a Toyota Camry and then gas went down and now gas is going high. So we're probably going to sell our trucks again, but whatever. But I was in need of a truck about two years ago and I wanted to buy a used truck. And so we live in Melbourne and my wife and I, I took a day to go over to this dealership. Now, if you're a Ford F-150 fan, there's a dealership over in Tampa, close to Tampa. And this dealership is like one of the biggest dealerships with the best prices ever. It's, it's in Bartow, Bartow, Florida. Do you know that's a town? It exists. Some of you know where it's at. So now you know the dealership. I don't know if I'm allowed to like give them props. Or, or whether they pay us royalties for saying that, so I'm not going to say their dealership, but it's in Bartow, figure it out. And so anyhow, we're going over there. Now, usually when we go on this journey, I'm usually the guy that's like, get to point A to point B fast as we can. We're not stopping for a bathroom break and let's just stick to business. And so if that was the case, I'd probably head up 528, get on, get on I-95, 528, I-4 and get off the exit. We're right there. Let's just do 90 mile an hour, 80 mile an hour, whatever the speed limit is because pastors don't speed. And so, but no, it was, you know what? I'm going to come down to 60. I'm going to come down to 60, and I'm going to take it straight over. I'm going to take the shortcut and go directly on 60 from there to there. How many of you have been west of, like, Sebastian or Vero? Do you know that Florida is a beautiful area? You take, I, you take 60, there's pastures, and there's land, and you're going, this is beautiful country, right? And so my wife and I are in a car, and we're halfway there, and there's this town, and it's called Lake Wales, And it's halfway there, halfway to our destination. And we're driving through this little town. And it's kind of like we're in Mayberry. Like, it's pretty cool. Like, it's country folk. And it's little breakfast places and coffee places. And and we're driving. And I see this storefront. And on the storefront sign, it says, guns, ammo. And I'm getting really excited because I wanted to stop. And then it said, antiques. I was like, yes. I looked at my wife and I said, can we stop here? And she's like, sure. She was all excited. I'm excited. She's excited. And we go and we go into this store. But I want to tell you something. The time that we were shopping for this truck, what was happening in our country, you've experienced it. I've experienced it. It was a time where there was a lot of people that were fearful of COVID. 
We have lost a lot of our loved ones. We didn't know what we were dealing with, did we? And there was a time where there was political division and there was mistrust and there were people losing their businesses and their income was threatened and challenged. Do you remember those days? And we're past, that's in our rearview mirror. Hopefully we keep moving forward. We never want to go back there again. And there were people that were just discouraged and full of fear. And we walked into this shop and we met this shop owner and she was a wonderful lady. And so I, of course, I went to the nine millimeter counter with whoever, somebody was back there. And my wife began to talk to this lady as they were shopping. And what we came to find out is that she reopened her shop and she didn't know if she's going to make it very much longer. And she had been the owner of the shop for quite a while. You know the story. And so my wife finds her in this place, and my wife, because this is what she does, because after all, it was my day off as a pastor. Why would I want to say anything? But I'm just joking with you, you know that. But my wife got into a conversation with this lady and encouraged her and shared with her why we have hope in such a trying time. And it was a wonderful and a beautiful conversation, and then I came to the counter and messed it up. But no, we ministered to her, and it was a wonderful thing. And I want to just tell you, the reason why I'm telling you this story is because I believe that God had a divine plan for that shop owner. And although we were trying to get from point A to point B, there was a divine plan. That lady needed hope. And that lady needed hope in something other than what the world would hand her, but a hope that is not from this world, but is from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it was a beautiful thing. We saw God using us. Now, I say this all to tell you that today, you can turn in your Bibles to chapter 4, John chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to see that Jesus... He's going to take a shortcut, not a normal route. And he's going to take this shortcut, which is going to put him in a town that is halfway from point A to point B. And we're going to see that Jesus has a divine intervention with a woman at the well. Can I just say to you and propose to you that whatever you do today, wherever you go today, or whatever you do tomorrow or this week, God has a divine appointment for you. Do you believe that? Or is it just for the pastor? (laughs) No, it's for everybody. God wants to use you, and that's what we're going to pick up from this story is we're going to see your turn in your Bibles at John chapter 4, verse 1. But before we read this, I want to remind you that two weeks ago, we saw Jesus have a divine appointment and encounter with a man named Nicodemus. You remember, church? Who was Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a guy of high esteem. He was probably wealthy. He had orthodox theology. He was a top of the ranks. He had a lot of fruit salad on his chest. He was respected, and he was a student of the word. And so he was at a high place, and Jesus meets him. And quite frankly, Jesus, he didn't need Jesus. He had his religion, but Jesus spent time with him. And today, we're going to see that Jesus is going to meet with a woman at a well who was despised, unschooled, and without influence. And some would say she was even a moral outcast. But I want you to understand that Jesus comes for the lost. He comes for the sinners. And whether you are up here wealthy, have no financial situations, or you're the president of a university, or wherever you are with good reputation, or whether you feel that you have been down here at the bottom of the barrel, you are in a valley, and you are full of sin, and you are an outcast socially, and you don't have any hope, Jesus will minister to wherever you are. Jesus' character is that he finds you where you are and he changes your life. That is your testimonies in this church. That is my testimony. And that's why we love relationship 
with Jesus Christ. And we see that in verse 1, as we begin, we see that both Nicodemus and this woman at the well needed a Savior, and Jesus was willing to be that man that would love on them no matter where he found them. Look at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Verse 3, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now I want you to understand it's a little bit interesting because the text here, verses 1 through 3, does not show that the leaders are now with Jesus. The leaders had now gone back to Jerusalem, but there are rumors coming from from John's ministry and from Jesus' ministry, one from Galilee where John remained and one from where Jesus is, which is pretty far away where he started his ministry, and these rumors are getting back that, hey, there's a lot of people that are starting to follow this John the Baptist. They're, They're getting saved, they're being baptized, and they're following Jesus. And so you have to understand that I don't know what the Pharisees' motives were, but word got back to Jesus that they were concerned. Maybe they were trying to create competition within the ministry. Maybe their angle was, let's get this out so that John is kind of jealous of Jesus, and Jesus is kind of jealous of John, but that backfires because there is no competition in the ministry. We're all on the same team. We are one church in Sebastian with many churches. We're all on the same team, and that is to get the gospel out. So that plan kind of backfires. We know one thing about the Pharisees, though, don't we? They despised and were jealous of John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. They wanted to shut it down. And so we see that Jesus decides to go back to Galilee. Now, I have a map up on the screen. I want you to understand where this is at. I have a map up on the screen. There we go. Thank you, guys. Jesus is somewhere right around between Jericho and Jerusalem. Bethany He's in that green area there. And then you see Galilee where John is up there. Now, you see the body of water, Sea of Galilee. If you follow it north, that is the Jordan River. This is where John remained. Jesus is down here. Now, typically, I told you that Jesus took a shortcut. He took a straight, direct route And he went from, say, Bethany area there straight up through Samaria right into Galilee. I want you to understand that that was not a normal route that Jews would take. Jesus was a Jew. They wouldn't take it. They would literally go out of the green area, and they would go east of the Jordan River, follow it up all the way past Satan where Decapolis is, and then where that river is, they'd cut across the border into the green and go up to uh, to. Yeah, O'Galley. Yeah, O'Galley, Melbourne. <laughs> Galilee. <laughs> I wish Jesus would come to O'Galley in, in person. But he went out of his way, and the Jews would go out of their way. Now, understand, they're traveling by foot. That put two or three days on your, on your trip. Why? Why? Why would they do that? Here's why. Here's why Jews would avoid going straight through Samaria. See, they hated the Samaritans. And by the way, the feelings were mutual. The Samaritans hated the Jews. It was mutual prejudice against each other. Why did they hate each other? They hated each other because you remember back in Babylon where God's chosen people, the Jews, he says, do not intermarry. Do not marry outside of your Jewish heritage, your Jewish tradition. And we know that all through the Old Testament that they were warned, but they would marry out of of their, their race or their tribe, see? And so that proposed that they were intermixed. 
And so there was a lot of animosity there. It was very negative and there was infighting. And I just say, church, quite frankly, this is modern day prejudice. This is what was happening. This is why they didn't want to go through there. And can you imagine the disciples, Jesus going, we're going right through Samaria. Can you imagine the disciples that picked up their, dropped their nets and decided to follow Jesus? And like, you want to go where? They hate us. They'll kill us. We hate each other. And yet Jesus, who is not moved by hate that the world gives, Jesus goes, watch what I'm about to do. We're going to go right through Samaria. So this is what you see, and I want to tell you a quick story. How many of you, if you've lived in Florida for so many years, that when fall comes, you just have this itch to go up to the mountains for a week in the fall? Come on, let me see your hands. Be true. Yeah, I see my mountain folk. You like to go to Tennessee, the western side of Tennessee up in the mountains, or how about the north, the northwestern Georgia mountains up there? Or how about northwest North Carolina, where you rent a cab and everybody goes up there, right? I have no problem with that. I love that. But there's a problem that I have. My wife and I like to go to the, north, uh, to the western side of Georgia in the mountains. It's beautiful up there. But there's one problem. When we go to the shortest route, point A to point B, there's a huge problem that's in the way. It's a city, and it begins with A. Does anybody know what that city is? Say it. Atlanta. How many of you like going through Atlanta? Anybody? How many of you like sitting in seven hours of traffic on a Sunday after Thanksgiving trying to get home Monday morning for work? You like that? That's what happened to my wife and I. I can't stand Atlanta traffic. I wish we had a little route around Atlanta to get to the mountains, but it's not there. And every time we go up there, I have to prepare myself that we're going to go through Atlanta traffic. I, I will, however, leave on a Monday morning. We sat in traffic for seven hours gridlock, and we still had 380 miles to go at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Mind you, we left at 7 a.m. Sunday morning because I got to be back to work on Monday, right? Anybody with me? So you probably don't like Atlanta like me. Now, if you lived in Atlanta and you have relatives, I apologize. I didn't say I didn't like your relatives or the people. I just didn't like the traffic. You understand? We divert sometimes, don't we? We divert from the will of God. What would it be like if this man, Jesus, God's son in the flesh, told his disciples, we're going to follow tradition. We're just going to skirt around Samaria. You're going to see that Jesus knows what he's doing all the time. Look at verse 5. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, I want you to understand, as you saw on the map, it's about halfway, and they're tired now. They've been traveling by foot. They're tired. They're thirsty. They're weary from traveling. And we see that Jesus now is going to be left resting at Jacob's well. And the disciples are going to go into town. They're going to buy food because they've been traveling and they're very hungry. What's interesting about Jacob's well, where they left Jesus, is that Jacob's well, this place where Jesus is now resting, this is a historically a spiritual historical place because it was the forefathers. It was something that, that, that the well was built. In fact, write this down next to verse 5, Genesis 33, 19. And what happened where Jesus is resting is in Genesis 33, 19, it says that Jacob himself bought this land for a hundred pieces of silver. And then when he bought this land, 
years ago where Jesus is now resting, they dug a well that was 100 feet deep. This well was fed by the springs. So you had clear water from the springs. And so Jacob, his livestock, and his family were able to have uh, uh, enough water and physical fresh water. But see, today, even to the point, you can see Jacob's well where it's still fed by the spring at the foot of Mount Abal. And this well is located about a half a mile south of the village of Saishar. This is important. This is a well that is outside of town. Nobody goes there except to go to fetch water, okay? And so the word of God is true. The well was dug. It tells us that in Genesis, and it's still there today producing water. You can find the pictures on Google, but look at verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. What is the last four words in that verse? Can you say it together? What time was it? It was about noon. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I'm a woman with a bad reputation that gets no respect. You whisper as I pass by and cast your judgment glances, but you don't take the time to look at me or get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. Otherwise, what is the point of doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look me in the face and see more than just two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all of me and all that I could be all of my hopes, loves, fears, but that's too much to hope for, to wish for, to pray for, so I don't, not anymore. I keep it all to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that has brought me here at the midday well. To ask of a drink is no big deal, but to ask it of me, a woman, unclean, ashamed, used, and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink ever passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning. And as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You are a man of no distinction, but of the utmost importance. A man of little reputation, at least so far. You whisper to me and you tell me to my face what all those glances have been about. You take the time to look at me, but you don't need to get to know me. To be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known. And you know me. You actually know me. You know all of me. Everything about me. Every thought inside. Every hair on the top of my head. Every hurt stored up. Every hope. Every dread. All of my past and my future, you know all that I am and all that I could be. You tell me everything. You tell me about me, which if spoken by another would certainly bring hate and condemnation. But coming from you, oh, it brings love, mercy, grace, hope, salvation. I have heard of one who has come to save a wretch like me. And now here in my presence, you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. 
this is just too much. I must run back to town. This is way too much for me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good, the bad, the sinners and the saints. They need to see what you've shown me, to hear what you've told me, to taste what you gave me, to feel how you forgave me. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. They all need it. We all do. We need it for our own. It was noon, and Jesus met this woman by the well. You know, at noontime, it was probably 120 to 130 degrees heat. The heat of the day, the worst time. There were other women that were not there because they went to the well early to draw their water. Why was this woman at the well at this time of the day? Is it because she didn't set her alarm? She slept in? Or was it because she forgot the path that she had to take to get to the well? Because she, after all, she was there the day before. Did she forget where the well was located? I think not. She was at the well because she was probably full of shame of her past and her sin. And who knows how the community treated her once they realized what her sin was. They publicly humiliated her. Did the public isolate her because of her immoral sexual reputation? Look at verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw the water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. To show you how uncomfortable and unusual this conversation is between Jesus and a Samaritan woman, look how this woman responds. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Duh. Like, what are you talking to me for? This shouldn't be happening is what she's thinking in her mind. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I can imagine what this woman was thinking. Great, I've got a Jew who hates us anyways, and now I have another critic in front of me. Just another critic that I have to wake up to. I've waited to come to the well in the middle of the noon so that I wouldn't run into anybody, and now I have a critic But let me tell you something, Jesus will not be her critic, Jesus will be her friend, and yet she does not know that. And I want you to understand that Jesus, both then and now, breaks down the barriers that would normally divide people. Jesus is not interested interested in racism, Jesus is not interested in who you are, Jesus' character and heart meets us where we're at every time. He is not influenced by the world that we live in. He is influenced by the kingdom's world, and he operates in that manner. Jesus was willing to risk his reputation to be seen meeting with this harlot. He's willing to engage with sinners. And what do we know about Jesus' heart? Remember, the disciples dropped their nets and they were following him in one of the most powerful statements that Jesus said to them as he was telling them, if you want to know how to be called out for being a follower of Jesus Christ, here's an important verse, John chapter 13, verse 35. John 13, 35. By this, Jesus telling his disciples, 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. You see, there's a simple phrase that puts this verse in, into, into perspective. Love the sinner. Help me finish it. Hate the sin. Love the sinner, but hate their sin. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. And although the disciples were in town buying food, they're going to come back and they're going to see what happens. But here's the question. Here's the point I don't want you to miss in this story. How does the woman see Jesus? How does she see this Jewish man standing in front of her? Does she see Jesus as the Savior, the Son of God? Or does she see Jesus as a thirsty Jewish man? What was she thinking? I have it up on the screen. I want you to reflect on that. Go home today and think about this question that you have to ask yourself. What lens do you look at Jesus through today? Who is Jesus to you? Maybe you've come to, to give your life to Jesus Christ and you remember how wicked you were in your sin your miry clay that he pulled you out of and the freedom that you received and the forgiveness that you received from him. And maybe that was many years ago or maybe that didn't happen at all. But where are you today? How do you view Jesus? You can relate to this woman. Who is Jesus in my life? Some of you have been saved for many years but shame and guilt and condemnation is coming back into your life because you're listening to Satan. How do you view Jesus today? Do you receive his forgiveness? Do you receive his love? Or are you too religious? You forgot about the free gift, the free grace, the free forgiveness. How does this woman see Jesus in this story? And Jesus isn't content with how she's thinking at this moment. Look what he says to her in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the what? The living water. Look how she responds. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with the well is too deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? You see, she's not getting it yet. She's looking at all the physical barriers of her receiving this living water. First, she doesn't even know what living water is. Second of all, she's like, hey, how do you get a bucket down that far? Is that living water under the clear water? Where is this living water? But notice that she kind of diverts this, and she says, are you greater than Jacob? You know, Jesus, you're going to see this in this series all throughout the book of John. Jesus is constantly defending who he is. He defends his authority. He defends his validity. And he defends who he really is. He says, I am the Messiah that comes. It's interesting, because this constant barrier that the Jews will give to Jesus, they will say, who, who are you? Do the great forefathers, super, do you supersede them? Look what someone asked him in John chapter 8, verse 53. It says, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and, are the, and, and the prophets that are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus was constantly asked, are you greater than them? Are you proclaiming you're greater 
Look at verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will what? Will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Notice what Jesus is saying to this woman. He says it gently, and he simply states he is greater because his water satisfies for eternity. Jacob's water will not satisfy you, and it made me think about this. This could be a vase that's full of water, church. This is a water that maybe perhaps you drank before you came to Jesus. My question for all of us to ponder today is, do we try to drink from the living water? Oh, we may be a Christian, and we count on the living water to sustain us spiritually. But I wonder how many of us are tempted, or maybe someone here today actually is trying to go back to the old life and drink the old water the water that we think we need that satisfies us, that gives us temporary quenching for our thirst. Is there somebody here listening online today that you thirst for the old water which you know is temporary and you will continue to go back to that old water, that old life, and you forgot that that old water will never quench your thirst because you've had an encounter with Jesus and you've experienced his living water, the Holy Spirit flowing through you. And maybe you're here today and you've been trying to go back to that old water and God knows that. And maybe he's speaking and saying, hey, you don't need this old water. You will continually be thirsty. But if you believe and if you drink of the living water, I'll give you everything you need. You will never be thirsty for your old life. You will never be thirsty for anything that you used to partake in. Would you just drink of me? Because my water will give you eternal life. You will never thirst again and again and again. I love this, write this down. The water that Jesus gives us will permanently satisfy our spiritual thirst. There are several scriptures that talks about the living water. Isaiah 12, 3 says, Therefore joy, will, you will draw water from the wells of what? From salvation. It's eternal. John seven thirty eight says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow what? The living water the rivers of living water. You know, it's interesting at this point in the story, this woman at the well, she still can't see the reality of who Jesus is standing in front of her. But I want to tell you something. Jesus understands the reality of who this woman is standing in front of him. He understands her condition. He knows everything. And what is this this next move that Jesus is going to say because, remember, he desires her. And the reality, Jesus wanted her to look at the reality of who she is. Jesus wanted her, maybe for the first time, to be honest with herself, to not make blame game on anybody, to acknowledge the sin that she's living in. Look what he says in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. Verse 16, he told her, Go call your husband and come back. Now, as we read verse 16, it kind of looks like Jesus is like, I'm done with you. Like, you're not getting this. 
we should have went around the long way to Galilee. Like, I don't understand this. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't give up on this woman. What Jesus was doing was Jesus was about to do real heart surgery on this woman. But he did it in a way that he asked her a simple question, not a condemning question, not a judgmental question, but he says, woman, go get your husband. And when he asked her that, you see that he wants her to finally be honest with herself. Look at how she responds in verse 17. I have no husband, Jesus, she replied. I kind of have to laugh about that one. How many of you have baked cookies for your kids when they were living at home and they were young? How many of you baked like fresh cookies or fresh something that you know the whole family loves and you lay them out on the counter? Yeah, I'm looking at the hands raised. I'm coming to your house. <laughs> and you laid them out on the counter and you said, okay, now these cookies have to cool, especially the chocolate chip cookie dough kind, right? You lay these out on the counter so that they can cool and later on we'll have them. And what happens when you did that and you came back into the kitchen and half of them were missing? Oh, your point, yeah, you're exposed. I see, yeah, I got that. We'll pray for them later. <laughs> but they stole the cookies. What's the first thing? Did, did you take the cookies? Where'd these cookies go? We, didn't, we don't know. We don't know where they are. We don't know where they went. But isn't that typical of our flesh? When we are cornered and we have to face the truth, sometimes we go, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. This is what this woman says, and Jesus knows our human nature. Look what he says. I love this. This is drop the mic moment. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Oh, boy. How many of you want to be in the shoes of the woman right now? Not one of us. What Jesus is saying is, he's like, you're right. You're in a season where you don't have a husband, and guess what? You're shacking up with a man. It's not even your husband. You're sinning, and you know it. And I'm calling you out in love because I'm the son of God, and I want to get to you. I want to see your life change. Listen to what David said in Psalm 139. Who is this Jesus that sits in front of this woman and now exposes everything about her to her face? How could he possibly know this? David wrote this. He said, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. Psalms 139, 1 through 5. You see, Jesus knows this woman standing before him. Spoiler alert, church. Jesus knows you and I standing before him. He knows our ways. He knows everything about us. Write this down. You cannot outrun God. You cannot escape from his love. And you cannot hide anything from his presence. Let me say that again. Let it sink in. You cannot outrun God. You cannot escape from his love. And you cannot hide anything from his presence. So here's the question. 
Will this woman see Jesus as a critic or as a savior? And it's not like divorce wasn't happening back then. The Bible has a lot to say about divorce. And the Bible has a lot to say about widows. But for a woman to have five husbands and be currently shacked up with another guy, there's no hiding the fact that she's caught in her sin. And now this Jewish man in front of her knows it. And here's the question. Will the woman now see Jesus as a critic? Or as her Savior. Look at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. <laughs> can I just say one word? Divert, 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 divert. Hold on, Jewish man. You're getting too personal with me. You're getting to the painful spot that I've tried to hide and bury all my life. What are you doing? And it appears, it could appear, that she's trying to divert and change the subject, but I don't think that's what's happening. You see, the Samaritans, they would go up to the mountain, and they would go to the mountain, and they would pray, and they would ask for forgiveness. She says, you Jews, what she's saying is, you go to the temple, you sacrifice on the altar for your sins beginning. You know what she's asking Jesus here? She's saying, what's the proper way to get rid of my sin, Jesus? We do this, you do that. I don't want to be in my sin anymore. How do I get rid of my sin? Do I go to the temple and, 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 and sacrifice something on the altar? I don't want to be in this sin anymore. She's actually acknowledging in this moment Look at verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time has come when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor back in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, yet a time is coming and now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Hello? I'm standing in front of you. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, well, guess what? I am he. Just then the disciples returned. They missed this whole thing, by the way. But hey, I hope the public subs were worth it. And, and, and so they show up with the meal. And Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Can you imagine, Jesus, what are you doing? Can you imagine the disciples questioning Jesus? I think Peter tried to do that, and he got put in his place, didn't he? But then no one asked him the question. Look at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. Do you understand what just happened here? This woman had an encounter with the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Her purpose, the old life, was to fill that jar of water and take it back to her village and do it quietly and confidentially. But she has a new purpose. She left her old life, her water jar at that well, and she went back to town with a whole new purpose. 
She left that old life. Church, what do you need to leave behind today? Is there something in your life that you need to leave behind you? Do you have a jar at the well this morning that you need to leave? You need to move and follow the Lord and find new purpose and change that direction. Are you trying to drink the living water and the old water? Have you left your jar at the old well, but you somehow find yourself back at the well? You see, this woman realizes that her sin's exposed by the Savior of the world, and she could no longer do the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result. And she runs into the town. Can you imagine what would happen if God didn't have that divine appointment with his son Jesus Christ with this woman? Could you imagine? Verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come! See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. What caused this shy sinner who was trying to just get along without any attention? All of a sudden, you can see her. She's like a, a lunatic. She's like, like screaming in the streets, like, hey, come see this Jesus. You need to meet him. He will tell you things that will amaze you. And she's stirring up. And then this story changes in verse 31 to 38. You can read that at home. But all I'll simply say is this conversation in those verses was that the, the disciples were worried about food. Jesus was worried about the ministry. That's all you need to know there. But look at verse 39. What was the result of the woman's testimony? 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, and he told me everything I ever did. Three points I want you to write down, then we're going to take communion, sing a song, and get out of here and go enjoy this beautiful weather. You with me? Three points. Number one, having an encounter with Jesus brings freedom. Isaiah 61 says that Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to save us, and he came to set us free. Number two, Jesus brings us comfort. I love what this verse says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I just want to speak to you real quick about this. There are people in this room and listening to me online right now, and you have come from a messy background. You've come from the pit of the miry clay, and you had an encounter with Jesus, and he's brushed you off, he's wiped you clean, and you are walking in victory. You are a changed person because of Jesus Christ in your life. That is my story. But I want to encourage you, that verse that I just read to you says that if that's you and you know God brings you a person who has walked in the same sin, the same testimony as you, you need to open your mouth like that woman. You need to have a personal, you need to have a personal conversation with that person and you need to tell them your testimony. You need to tell them, this is what I was doing, just like you, this is how I met Jesus and this is how he changed my life. Can I get an Amen. Like, I don't need amen just 
for me to see and preach. And I just need you to say amen. Like, I agree with you. I need to share and open that up. Not just to anybody, but when you know there's a divine appointment at the well with somebody and you go, that was my story, you need to be bold and you need to tell them. You need to give them hope. Last thing I want you to write down, Jesus brings testimony. Your mess becomes the message of the gospel. God wants to use each and every one of us. Look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and, they, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. In the last verse, verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is who? The Savior of the world. I'm going to invite the band to come back up on stage. So you may say, Pastor David, why, why did Jesus come to this earth? What's the point? Why did he only stay three and a half years? What's that got to do with me? Verse, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says that for the Son of Man came to do what? Seek and save the lost. I want your attention. I want you to listen to me. There's going to be two pictures that I want to put up on the screen. The first picture is a picture of this well. And I believe today, just like last night in the, in the first service and those that are listening online, I believe today that there's a good possibility that there might be someone in this room or listening to me and you are standing at that well. You know it. You're trying to seek your old life. You're trying to seek the pleasures, the temporary quenching. You think you're thirsty. You're entering into that. You shouldn't be there. You know it. You've had an encounter with Jesus and you're trying to go back. You're trying to go back to that vase. You're trying to drink of something that will never satisfy you. You've tasted the living water, but for some reason you find yourself standing at that well. I want you to know today, Jesus is there with you. He wants to change you. He wants you to go back to the living water. He doesn't want you to drink from the living water and drink from the water that will physically give you thirst. You don't go out on the water on your boat and drink the salt water and drink the bottled water, do you? So in a moment, I'm going to have you bow your heads and I'm going to pray with you, but the second picture I want to put up, that's a picture of the living water. That living water, if you allow Jesus, it will flow constantly through your hands. It will filter all the junk out of your life that doesn't need to be there if you just say, God, keep pouring yourself into me. Keep pouring your Holy Spirit into me and over me. Quench my thirst. Give me the real thing that satisfies me forever in my life. That I don't desire anything else that you wouldn't have for me. And that that water would pour through you and then out that you could pour out into others because your spiritual thirst is satisfied. Would you bow your heads with me? With every head bowed, I don't want anybody looking. This is a time between you and the Lord, not me. But for those that you say, Pastor David, that's me, I'm standing at that well. 
And I know that I know that I know that I'm supposed to hear this message and I know that I'm here. And God knows you're here. Remember divine appointments. I don't know how you got here today. Maybe you're listening online. You were going from point A to point B and you were taking a shortcut and you had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You know it. And you know that you need to drink from the living water. Maybe you haven't even received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but I'm here to tell you that he is here and he's willing to take your hand and lead you away from that well if you just let him. And so if that's you, I'm gonna pray a prayer and you just come in an agreement with me, but I am gonna do something bold. You see, that drop the mic moment, that woman had to realize that she needed him. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, respect your, your congregation next to you. If that's you, and you know that the Lord needs you to make a change and go to his living water, would you just slip your hand up real quick so that I know who I'm praying with? Would you just do that? Anybody? If you're listening online, yes, I see that. If you're listening online, yes, I see that back in the back. Thank you. If you're online, you raise that hand. God sees that. This is a divine appointment. All right, put your hands down. Father, we just intercede as a church, a body of believers, God, and we intercede for our brothers and sisters that those hands are up. We thank you that they're confessing before you, not a man, not a church, not anything, but just before you, Lord, that you met them at the well today. God, we thank you that you are working in their lives. Lord, by their hands up, you know what they're saying to you. Lord, if they don't know you, they're inviting you in maybe for the first time. Forgive them of their sins. God, take their hand and lead them away from that old life that you came and died on that cross to give them a new life. Come into our lives, Lord. Change us from the inside out. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right.